Welcome back to Misunderstood. I'm your host, Rachel Yucatel. Okay, guys, so if you love gossip, celebrity scandals, name dropping, and behind-the-scenes scoop, you're going to love this episode. I had the pleasure of talking to AJ Benza. If you don't know his name, get to know it. He's a pioneer in the world of gossip. He knows everything about everyone, and he held nothing back with me on this interview. He blasts the doors wide open on the world he's been a part of for decades as a journalist and TV host. No one is off-limits today. No story too controversial. You do not want to miss it. So get ready for AJ Benza. All right, so we're going to get right into this, okay? I'm, okay, cool, cool. I'm so happy to be meeting you in person, sort of, because after all this time, I feel like our paths should have crossed before now. Um, I know that my name has come up in the press. I'm somebody I'm sure you've had to cover at some point or gossip about or write about. Um, and, you know, I've obviously heard of you because you've kind of become infamous in the job you had. So um, I'm, uh, it's my honor to, to meet you finally. So thank you for oh, doing okay. Misunderstood. Of course, no problem. I look at I'm misunderstood too, so I I get the title, I get the whole premise. Yeah, I thought we would have met because of my days in nightlife, and um, I don't know why we didn't meet. I, I I assumed we would have met at some point in New York or Miami or I don't know. Yeah, but. Uh, Thank God we have uh, we have similar friends who hooked us up. That's right. We have a number of different friends that have said to me for a long time, "Oh, I can't believe you don't know AJ." So, so yeah. I'm happy we're <laughs> we're here now. So, I want to establish for people listening <clears throat> because obviously you're part of my generation basically and I know where you came from, but like ha- tell me a little bit about your childhood and how you got into wanting to be a journalist. Oh, well, I think I just always wanted to be heard and remembered to be really vain about the whole thing. I um, I was always writing as a kid, always performing as a kid with my family. And um, when I got into, uh, I went to college, got my journalism degree, but I always wanted to be an actor and, you know, just get some work acting. But um, I got married young and then divorced five years later. Once I got divorced... At 31, my whole life changed. I moved to Manhattan from Long Island, got a great apartment in West, the West Village, and I landed a job at the New York Daily News, where I spent about seven years there covering uh, gossip. I was the top gossip columnist of the New York Daily News in the, in the 90s, and the 90s were just exploding with gossip from mm. The Menendez brothers to Michael Jackson to I mean every Tanya Harding, it was endless. Yeah. And I made my name on a lot of TV shows that covered that sort of thing. But yeah, I always I always love words. Uh, I love writing and I love I hate to be I hate to sound like an idiot, but I always think I have something important to say. So that's why I wanted to talk to people uh for a living. So this podcasting thing. Uh, it's perfect for me. I get right. to write and talk 
and get my points across. Right. So what what do you think made you attracted to entertainment news and scandals and, and gossip as opposed to like politics or something? My mother used to read the gossip columns when I was young as a kid. She'd read Rona Barrett. I don't know if you know that name. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Liz Smith. And um, she always would read them out loud. I don't know why. <laughs> but um, because I loved actors in Hollywood so much, I wanted to be around them. Yeah. Um, and and uh, when I moved to LA in 97 for my TV shows and, and some movie work, and then I was in that uh, I was in that field of people. Um, but doing gossip in New York City was really what got me to Los Angeles. I had a, a big name in New York City of covering all sorts of trials and tribulations and scandals of people. Mm. I mean, you would, I would have written about you constantly, to be <laughs> honest. I mean, it was a great, it's a tremendous story. Uh, but when you had your scandal, I wasn't writing anymore. Mm -hmm. So, but, I, but, I, but I've always, I've always loved secrets and scandals and gossip. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I got really good at it. I have very good sources. I have a lot of people that I talk to on a daily basis and, there isn't really a story I can't track down right. to this day. Uh, just I just have an intuition of a reporter and um, dog determination. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, acting, movie stars were very attractive to me when I was younger. Mm. Yeah. So how did that work, though, for you? Do you feel like you became, you started to become friends with some of these people that you were covering stories about them? Does that, that, did that ever affect you being able to write a story in a fair way? What happens is, for a long time, I wasn't. But I was like, look, most gossip columnists back in the 90s, there was about 15 of us in the country, I swear. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was like hardly anybody was doing gossip. Now there's thousands of people. But um, I, uh, I, I, I wasn't friendly with them, but I began to uh, stay out with them till 4 a.m., 5 a.m. Mm -hmm. And at those hours, you tend to hear things and people have loose lips. And a lot of things I heard from friends I made that are in business I would ever talk about. And that gave them... Um, a lot of confidence in the fact that AJ won't tell that story. He's cool. Don't worry about him. And I still have, I still have stories like that that I haven't said. Right. Um, but after, after about seven years of doing it, you know, you feel dirty. You, you, you know, you've been dragged through the scandal sheets. You, you just want to take a shower every day. Yeah. yeah. It's not a fun place to be. Well, so you, uh, you go ahead. No, it's just, I was really good at it. Nobody, I once, but what you asked me is very, is very important. Once I was there long enough and became friends with them and went to their houses and now you're in Sylvester Stallone's house or you're making a movie with somebody, um, then my job got difficult. Yeah. I didn't, it just, I didn't, so I knew I had to split and then lo and behold, Los Angeles, the TV show for me, and I was gone from gossip in '97, and I I went a good about ten years or so doing television and movies, probably more. But then in the last six years, I've been doing my podcast because so many things were coming up from Harvey Weinstein to uh, Donald Trump 
both of whom I know very well. Mm-hmm. And I said, I got to get back in this. I just know too much about these people. Right. And that's why I started the podcast. So I have a couple questions from what you just said before. Was there anyone you felt like um, ever was a source that really screwed you that kind of wanted to narrate a story or get a story out there and you found out that that was incorrect? Or was there someone also that you've really protected and you feel like after all this time you really shouldn't have protected them and a story should have come out? No, not really. There was one guy, I remember his name. His name was Ruben Mallorette. He's a publicist, um, and he tricked me. I was young at the game. He tricked me and told me that, I think it was Cindy Crawford was going to marry this singer named Cheyenne. Mm-hmm. And he called me with a female voice. I couldn't believe what he, he finally told me when I left the job that that was me. So he wanted to get publicity for his singer, Cheyenne. I see. And uh, he... He just, he has some kind of voice modulator that sounded like a female, and I bought it. But that was the only time I was fooled. I was never fooled beyond that. Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> um, so you never got yourself in trouble by saying things and then having to retract well, them. Well, I, I mean, people have, a, you know, I had, I had lawsuits that were thrown at me that never materialized. Mm. I, Robert Downey Jr. was somebody I covered when he was involved in all his drugs, Um I went to an, I was covering the Oscars and I went to Andre down and, and on, on the strip and I saw him, you know, and he was wasted. And I reported that story. And then I got all these letters from his lawyers, Marty Singer, all the big time lawyers that you're going to be sued. Robert Downey was in Georgia. This is not true. And I told my editors, it's totally true. I was 10 feet from the guy. <laughs> And then I found out many years later when I moved here that it was true. His manager told me he wanted to go party one night at the Oscars and then go back to Georgia where he was doing a movie. But by doing that, he broke his parole. Oh. Um, so they protected him. Yeah. So I was never sued. Um, a couple of actors tried to. It didn't go anywhere. I broke this Jamie Foxx story about three months ago mm-hmm. where a source, a very good source of mine who was in his room in the hospital told me that he's now partially blind and partially paralyzed. This is in May. So I spoke about that on the show and his people called my producer, but nothing came of it. Mm-hmm. So I, I know I'm right. He, he, to this day, he's not explained what happened to him. He, mm-hmm. he won't say it, which I find annoying and, so a lot of people, but, um, you know, things like that happen here and there. I knew Jamie for years. I would be with him at nightclubs and stuff. So, um, whenever I was friendly with actors, I felt like it was better for me to break the story mm-hmm. because I could bother with them. I could ease up or take my foot off the gas when they needed that done. Yeah. Um, and some people came to me for that reason. Yeah. You know, there's going to be a scandal about me. I was caught having an affair. Maybe you can write this this way and not say this. And, you know, I owe you down the road. Gossip point is very much quid pro quo, mm-hmm. where, you know, you rub their back and they rub yours sometime later. Right. So it's a lot of backdoor dealings and that kind of stuff. 
Right. And I don't think a lot of people realize that a lot of times when you read an article and it says a source says that source is the person um, who's trying to get their version out and they just have had a relationship with the with the journalist or even not so they just are willing to talk to the journalist off the record because they at least want to tell their story and be anonymous about it. You know, you know, what's even worse, though, is that so many of these actors uh, and recording artists pay their publicists tens of thousands of dollars a month. And yet those are the people who sell them out. Right. And I would get like I would I would get a story about Naomi Campbell. Right. And I'd call her publicist and she'd say, please don't write that. I'm going to get so in trouble. Please write that. And that was really hard callback that I'd say, well, you got to give me something today. Right. I want a story today from somebody else. Get something or else I'm writing about Naomi. Mm-hmm. And uh, sure enough, before the end of the day, I'd have a gossip item about somebody else. So the Naomi story went away and I wrote about someone else. Right. So there are people sell them out a lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah, I I have been uh, privy to that. I've been part of that, seeing how that happens. So I can attest that that's the that is the way that it works. And you can sometimes you can only hold the original story out of the news for so long. It eventually yeah. comes out one way yeah. or the other. Yeah, yeah. So to go back to your Jamie Foxx thing, I mean, I did read about that. I I saw that you had you know made a statement. You had kind of broken that story of why he was in the hospital based on your source. And then I did see that his team put out that that was incorrect. It had nothing to do with co- the COVID vaccine, I guess is what they were saying. And and, they, yeah. and and that he was going to be fine. And we have not heard from Jamie Foxx as to what, what yeah. the reason was, what actually happened. Um, so, you know, for people to sort of say that you were incorrect or you made an incorrect statement, we don't even have a f- the facts that that's true. It's just, he said, she right. said, until we really find out the truth, if we ever do. Yeah, I don't think we will. I, it was in mid-May, and um, I got it from a t- tremendous source of mine. Um, I had no qualms talking about it on the air. I talked about it on Dr. Drew Pinsky's show to begin with. Yeah, He's got a big audience, and that's why it blew up. Um, but all Jamie Fox had to do was hold up his iPhone and talk to the phone and show people he's okay. But, you know, his daughter made it racial. His daughter said in the press, some crazy white man said something about my father and he was playing pickleball yesterday. Just complete horseshit. It's just a lie. But look, I, I think Jamie Foxx is probably the most multi-talented actor in Hollywood. Sing, dance, comedy, drama, you name it. So I wasn't happy to write that story, mm. but... Man, when something that big comes along, I, you know, I had to. I had to talk about it. Yeah, well, for sure. Um, talk to me a little bit about what it was like to then be a part of things that were bigger than just being a New York uh, gossip columnist. Like you all, you got uh, work with Howard Stern, right? You were working there for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And, and that yeah, obviously uh, must have, uh, you know, made you much bigger to a much bigger audience than what you originally had. Yeah. Yeah, when when uh, when Jackie Marlowe, oh, I, used to, I used to talk to Howard and go to the studio quite a bit. Howard loved gossip, and I had a lot of gossip on Howard, and I never reported anything about him when he was divorcing his first wife. But I knew who he was sleeping with, where he was living, they were living apart, and he liked that about me. Mm-hmm. He felt I was a stand-up guy. But... Um, 
when Jackie Martling quit the show, there was an empty chair, and Howard tried out a number of people to sit there. Jimmy Kimmel, there was a bunch of us. And I was there for about 20 days, 30 days. And the inside story was Howard liked me. Um, but then I had a fight with Stuttering John. I smacked him in the face, and there went that chance. But I didn't know it might have been, might have been a career of mine. I didn't. I wasn't the kind of guy I wanted to go to bed at 8 p.m. and wake up at 4 a.m. That's not my life. I, right. I was My life was staying up till 4 a.m. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, the, 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 the fact that I was on Howard Stern's show, and that was on was televised as well on E, mm. uh, that gave me a much bigger profile for sure. Yeah. So I've watched that clip and that episode. And, like, what... I'll tell you my thoughts after you tell me though, like I was shocked that they had, that that was it. I I thought it was, I mean, it was funny. Obviously you were pissed and so was John, you know, but like, it looked like part of their show. It's kind of like their whole shtick. So why do you think it got the producer, whoever that guy was at the end, who was like, get out. Why did it make him so mad? Well, well, what happened was, I my talk show. I had, I had a talk show at the E Channel mm-hmm. that only ran four weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't give me a good enough shot to make it a success, and um, it just ended. So uh, John was allowing callers in to talk shit about my show and why it was canceled, and I I I was told by E my mouth shut. I was still in the contract. For several hundred thousand dollars, they were paying to do nothing. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I can't talk about this. But after like the fourth phone call, I said, if there's one more phone call that comes through, I'm going to go smack Sutherland John in the face. Well, then he made his own call with his voice as if it was someone else. And I said, all right, I'm going to go smack him. And Howard and Robin couldn't believe it. I didn't want to hurt him. I hit him on my left hand. I'm a righty. I would have knocked him out with the right hand, but I slapped him with my left hand and uh, he got very emotional as well. And because it was workplace violence, mm. um, I had to leave. Howard called me and said, man, I love you. I'm, I'm sorry that that happened. I wish you were still here. Um, you know, but I didn't know, like, I wasn't thinking of that as a career at that point. I just liked being there. Right. Um, so, Maybe I lost the radio career. However, he hired Artie Lang, mm. who was phenomenal. Yeah. Artie earned that spot. Artie, Artie was great until he got messed up on drugs. Yeah, yeah. Do you talk to either one of those two or Robin? Well, I well, I was with Artie um, the night that his life really spiraled again. He um, he was in L.A., his, his uh, television show on HBO crashing was premiering that night. Mm. And he called me and he said, don't get mad at me. I said, nah, okay, what's wrong? He goes, I really need to get some cocaine. Do you know anybody? I said, Artie, this is a joke. You, you're straight. You can't do this. He goes, no, man, I got to do something. I got to do this. I got to go to San Francisco tomorrow to meet the executives with HBO. I'm freaking out. I said, I'll try to call someone. Took hours. Finally, I remember there's a restaurant here in LA, Dantana's, where you go there late enough and there are dealers in there. 
So I called Antanas and I talked to the host. I said, hey, I got a friend in from town. He wants to get hooked up. Are there going to be people there tonight with some stuff? He said, yeah, of course. They're always here. So we went to Dantana's. Artie bought a bunch of blow. We went back to his hotel. He devoured it. And uh, the next day he called me and asked me if I could get some heroin. And I said, I have no idea about that game. That's not, that's never been my game. But after that, his life completely went down the drain. He just lost everything. And yeah. no one even knows where he is right now. Yeah. He's living with his mother and his sister, but he's not doing comedy. He's working a regular job someplace. It's really sad. It is so sad. I mean, I know for a while he had a podcast that was doing really well. It had great. It was great. Yeah, it had great guests on it. The show's yeah, it was so fun. I yeah. know. I, I met know. him. Lost everything. I met him a couple of years ago because we were on a podcast together, uh, or on a radio show actually. For uh, I guess it was serious, uh, whatever. And uh, we were being interviewed by Sherrod Small. I don't know if you know him. Uh, I know him. Yeah, and, I know. And uh, yeah. we we were talking about our dating life, and it was such a fun two hours because he wanted me to set up a Bumble account for him. He wanted me to take him out and have him meet someone good. He was really, you know, he yeah, was really hopeful yeah. about meeting a good woman to help take care of him. He seemed sober. He seemed good. He was really funny and on, and he was so warm and caring. I just had the best time with him. So it's such a shame to hear how, he, you know, he, addiction he, he, really he, is, a, it just kills people. Yeah. He's got a big audience, has a big heart, yeah. really great guy. Um, but his addiction, you know, you can't work the Howard Stern show and then work the comedy clubs at night where all the drugs are. Yeah. Go on these weekends to different nightclubs and make a couple of hundred grand. He loved gambling. He loved cocaine. He loved everything. And yeah. he just got the best of him. But all he wants to be John Belushi. Yeah. So he kind of became John Belushi. He's just not dead yet. Right. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life can be hard sometimes. That's one thing we all have in common. Maybe you're thinking of changing careers or you're struggling in a relationship. You're at a crossroads and could use some guidance. Whatever you're going through, therapy can help you break through and find the best path for your future. I've used therapy in the past for certain things that I've been going through. They don't have to be major things, but sometimes it's great to just talk it out with somebody who you don't have in your immediate life. It makes things look a lot clearer. And finding out about BetterHelp was really interesting. You download the app, you type in some things that are important to you, and you're matched up with a therapist that may work for you. And I have found that my therapist was the perfect match for me. I've been using her once a week since I started, and I'm really excited to continue to use her. BetterHelp is a great place to start if you're thinking about therapy. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient and flexible. All you have to do is fill out the brief questionnaire, like I said, and BetterHelp will match you with a licensed therapist. And if you don't click with that therapist, you can switch at any time for no additional charge. Let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash understood today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash understood. Um, so I wanted to ask you really briefly about your stint in reality TV. You did a couple, yeah. you did a couple yeah. shows, you did celebrity fit club and give me my reality show, which by the way, I don't remember, but that sounds amazing. <laughs> it, it, it was so, look at celebrity fit club was interesting because I came in a time where money was tight. 
Mm. You know, the phones stop ringing in Hollywood, and that's a scary feeling. Mm. And they offered me 80000 bucks for eight weeks, two days a week to work out. And I said, yeah, I'm in, you know. I met a lot of funny people. Willie Ames is enough. Aaron Rand from Happy Days. Any others. You know, a lot of people that have had their time in the sun. Mm-hmm. And um, I had a ball there. That was good. The next thing, giving my own reality show, that was, I got down to the final three mm-hmm. with Cato Kalin and uh, Danny Bonaduce's ex-wife. Mm-hmm. And I just quit the show on the on that on that episode. I quit. Why? And I thought to myself, I don't. I didn't want my kids, who were very young at the time, to have sound packs on their body, and to be seen on television. And for Hollywood to come into my home when I was married to my wife, it, it just it felt gross. Mm. And um, I said, "What am I? Why am I competing in this? I don't want a show." So I quit. And uh, uh, I did the winning. I think she had a show for a few weeks. It was, uh, it went nowhere. It went nowhere. Right. But I love Kato Kalen. He's one of the funniest, most genuine guys in the world. But um, he's the yeah, best. Was, I've, I've had him on this show. He's fantastic. Yeah, Kato's great. Kato's so happy all the time. Yeah. I don't know what he does, but he's always up and at him and happy and fun. Mm-hmm. I love being around him. Mm-hmm. I told I've told Cato, if that OJ thing didn't happen, he would have had his own sitcom for years. He's that good. He I, really is. I agree, and rightly so. This is why I had him on the show because he's one of the most misunderstood people and had to live yeah. with a with an awful stigma just being this you know freeloading guest you know in the in the back house or whatever. And and he's just anything but. He's terrific. People people don't understand. There's so many people in LA who live in guest houses, yeah. it's just a very common thing. You know, it's very common. People want company. They've got an extra house in the back. And it's so common that he's not a freeloader. He was just, right. you know. And he clarified that he paid rent, by the way. So it didn't matter. Yeah, yeah he did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyways, he was great. So um, I, I want to talk to you about your podcast and the fact that now you cover, um, you know, gossip again, sort of, and you're really touching, you're touching on the top stories at the moment, right? Is, am I categorizing that? Right. Yeah. Um, and so I wanted to, to get your take on a lot of like top stories or things that are going on. Can we talk about some of them? Sure. So I I think this week you talked about, um, Brittany and Sam, uh, you know, being splitsville. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I said that wouldn't last Two years ago, I said, this will this will never last. Right. She's going to become this generation's Judy Garland or worse. You know, them, Ashgari, I know so much about this story because I have a source who was a lawyer for Brittany who told me everything. I was always ahead of the press by months. And um, Sam was on her father's payroll. Sam was being paid 500 a day to look out for her. Um, the truth of the matter is Brittany probably should never have gotten out of that conservatorship. Yeah. Now we're seeing what she's like. Mm-hmm. You look at her Instagram, stripping, dancing on poles, writhing in the sand and, you know, using an English accent. 
She's completely shocked. She's yeah. gone. I don't think there was any cheating involved. I just think he had enough. Mm. And I always say when I cover the story that he's going to get about five million bucks to go away. Yeah. And I still feel that way. So you think um, he's just had enough or you think he was in it for the fame and then realized he could get bigger by breaking up with her and then becoming someone? I don't think he thought about breaking up with her to get bigger because I don't know I don't know what kind of talent he has. Mm. He's certainly handsome. He could be working for the house of Gucci in a minute. He's got a great physique. He's yeah. a good looking kid. But no, I just think he got wrapped up in all of it. You know, when you're around stars like that, um it's, it's a very enticing way to live. I, I mean you know, money is never an object. There's private jets everywhere. You have traveling constantly. Mm -hmm. But that's not really what life's about. It's very shallow if there's no real love between them. I don't even think they got married. I think that was just a party. Yeah. I don't really, I, I've never seen the certificate of marriage. I don't believe it was a marriage. You know, the people she invited, Madonna, Drew Barrymore, Paris Hilton, there's never a picture of her girlfriend. Yeah. There's never a picture of her with someone she likes. She's a, a little girl lost and she's stuck in 2003. Yeah. She dresses the same. She looks, she, you know, the, the hair extensions, the makeup is on for three days. Any man at some point would go, I'm out of here. This is ridiculous. Right. Right. I mean, it is really sad. So many people are pulling for her and believe in her and remember her as who she was, like you said, in 2003 or whenever. She was just the biggest deal. And we love her that yeah. way. Right. But it is such yeah. a I always look at these Instagram things she's posting and I'm like, why is somebody not coming in there with a new set of extensions? I mean, that's the first thing I see. I what yeah. is that? And why is no one helping her with some eye makeup, m removal eye makeup. stuff? I mean, she could do she, commercials for things like that because she's such a mess. And we just love yeah. her and we want the best for her. And you look at these comments from people and her followers love her so much that no one they, says they anything to help her. Like, girl, it, I'll come do your extensions. I'll fix your makeup. I'll give you some new clothes. Yeah. I'll be your best friend. But instead, people... That are just obsessed with celebrity, you know? That, that shows you how nobody cares. Yeah, and sad. part of the problem was all of her millions of fans cheering her on mm -hmm. those videos saying, yes, queen, you do you, you're the best. And it's like, no, she's not. She's the worst. Right. You're killing her. Right. It is sad. Well, sad. We, we wish Brittany the best for sure. Sure we do. Sure. Sure. Um, all right. What are your thoughts on this Scooter Braun scandal? Why is everyone jumping ship? And then why do we hear on the opposite side, no one's left me, everyone still works with me? I don't think that's true. I think Scooter Braun, <laughs> um, well, he's always been looked upon as sleazy mm. in terms of taking people's records and, and uh, you know, what we did to Taylor Swift by uh, taking her, uh, what do you call it? He, he took all her music and she had to buy it back. It's, yeah. it, it, Scooter Braun, you know, that now they're talking about he's doing a lot of cocaine, which is par for the course in this town when you're that age and that popular. And I think that I think that Taylor Swift engineered this and has told all these people from Rihanna to Adina Menzel to watch out for him and you're better off getting away from him. I think Taylor Swift 
I don't know more than three or four of her songs, but she's such a powerhouse right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, a powerhouse that she could talk to all these people and they'd listen and say, if Taylor says it, I'm going to do it. That's what I really think happened. I think she engineered this, uh, um, you know, people leaving this exodus. Yeah. Right. You know, it is so interesting how Taylor has become who she has become. I mean, I brought my daughter who's 11 to her concert. I didn't think I knew many songs. I thought I knew just about the same as you four or five. And it was like the best concert I've ever been to, by the way. And the, you know, I spent over $5,000 on two tickets and like getting that. It's crazy. I mean, totally nuts, but I will say it was amazing because the, the level of excitement of everyone in the stands, there wasn't a seat available and people were on their feet, screaming, crying, singing the whole time. And it was so, it brought me to tears to see how how excited everyone was. So I was like, okay, it was worth it. So then my daughter went to Beyonce last weekend here in Miami and the prices were just a couple hundred dollars. A lot of the seats were available. She didn't know most of the songs, although she had been studying the songs with her friend, you know, yeah, yeah, until they yeah. got there. And, you know, they left a little early. So, and Beyonce used to be the biggest deal, right? So I just, yeah, I find yeah. it so interesting that um, Taylor is the it thing. It's like when I was younger, the it musician was like, you know, a, a Whitney Houston or a Madonna. For me, the big sure. band was Hall & Oates. I mean, if Hall & Oates walked yeah. in, I'd just I pass out. They were the them, best. Love. They're the best. Best ever. Best ever. Yeah. You know, I think what happened is Taylor Swift has stayed stayed pretty much non-political. Yeah. She's just kind of kept her own. Um, Beyonce began to get political and got very liberal about things. And and, uh, a lot of her songs have to do with race Mm. and racism. And I think people are just tired of that. And and want to move on from it. I mean, there's no denying her talent. When Beyonce's on, she's amazing. But uh, I'm sorry, so some leaf blower outside my room right now. It's Los Angeles after all. That's okay. You can't Tons even you blower. can't even hear it actually hear it? over here. Okay. Um, yeah, I think I think Beyonce just became too um, too into uh, what's happening with 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 regard to race and police and you know her last few shows were all about you know marching and i don't know you know just i don't want to say the wrong thing but very pro-black mm-hmm. and i don't think that's a good thing to do because white t- white people buy tickets too yeah well, that's true. i think she kind of annoyed some people but you know look She's worth a half a billion dollars. She doesn't care what I say. She's fine. <laughs> right, right. You know, her and Jay-Z are fine. Yeah. Well, you said something um, that I want to get to because you said, oh, I don't want to say the, the wrong thing. I want to talk about cancel culture for one second. So to me, it's so interesting, right, that someone like, we'll talk about current people, like that, uh, well, Lizzo is about is in the process of being canceled, sort of. So happy. I'm so happy about that. You were. Oh, so you knew that this oh, was coming down the pike? For real, I'm- I've been calling her out for, for, for two years. Wow. She's so full of shit. I don't look at, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but you cannot come out and be as famous as she got and act like being obese is beautiful because it's not. 
she it, what, the way she weighs right now is no different than walking around with cancer and not treating it. She she's a mess. I'm not trying to you know uh, bitch about overweight people. I could lose 20, 30 pounds myself. But Lizzo acting like this is beautiful. I saw a video on Instagram where she put a donut, an ice cream, and milk into a blender and drank it. Kids don't need to see this. America's the fattest country in the world. I don't like that she's so gorgeous and that that whole thing I'm not into. I don't like that Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition now allows overweight women. Victoria's Secrets is the worst now because they allow transgender. And it's to me, it's gone so overboard that the pendulum has to swing back very soon. So We're out of our minds right now. Well, but it's interesting that you say that because some people are able to have a comeback and some people aren't. Like Morgan Wallen, for example, was completely canceled yeah. and now he's back and, you know, everyone loves him. But then someone like yeah. Chris Noth who everyone was in love with, you know, goes on a date with someone and it seems like he doesn't really know, you know, how to have a date. Again, I don't want to say the wrong thing, but like, it's very hard to date sometimes, you know, and he was a guy who everyone was obsessed with. Anyone would want to date or sleep with or whatever. And, you know, he was on a date with someone who, you know, didn't want to go to bed with him or whatever. And they didn't, that didn't even happen. But you know, this guy, they've now canceled him out of the show. They've actually made the memories of him dead. I mean, the guy's just over. So who's to, how do you know when someone deserves a comeback and when they don't? Well, I know Chris very well. I used to coach, I coached his son in little league with my son. And, um, back around 2017, when all the me too stuff was happening, he came to me and I said, you know, do you, you see what's happening? Because I used to, I used to hang out with Chris in New York City back in the nineties, and you know he had a ball. He was every girl wanted to hang out with him, handsome mm. guy, wealthy. And I said, uh, I said I talked to I talked to Harvey Weinstein before he went away, because Harvey was a friend of mine, um, and that's a whole different story that people think I helped him with this raping stuff, which I never did. And I'd love to tell you that story. But I said, yeah, it's going to get really serious. They're going to go after a lot of pe- people who, you know, it's not fair because it might have been just a bad date. The girl didn't like you. And now 15, 20 years later, she can say he tried to rape me or did this and that. And Chris got so worried. He said, how long do you think they're going to go back in mm. time? I said, I don't know. And I, I, when I said that, I felt like he was nervous for for himself. Oh, yeah. And then sure enough, all this crap comes out. Chris had a reputation of being physical with women. I remember those stories in New York with Beverly Johnson. Um, he denied it, of course. I like him a lot. I think generally people disappear for two years before they start to get work again. Mm. But it's, it's going a little bit longer for Chris. And, I don't, and you know, I know his wife, like I said, no, his son. I don't know why it's taking him longer. It's just not fair. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting what, what we're talking about because <clears throat> cancel culture and also gossip now, um, there's, it almost seems like 
journalists are becoming a dying breed, right? It's like everyone, no, you went to school for it. And then there's like journalism 101 through graduating through a course. Um, when we were, you know, back a couple decades ago, when I was in the press, when I was reading your articles, whatever, it, there was a certain, um, you know, way p journalists were putting something out. And then there was an appetite that the public had for that. And that made you guys do more, look into more, put out more sources about it or more stories about it. But now everyone's a journalist. Everyone is creating their opinion and making that into fact. And it's like these, you know, people behind a keyboard are just, you know, typing as fast as they can on social media. And, and that is going viral. And I mean, I think it's dangerous. What do you think about it? I mean, it just seems like there's no journalism. There's no way to have credible information come out. And then people's lives are being ruined because of it or their reputations. It, 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 it's terrible because, uh, I was very proud to be, and I'm proud to be a journalist. It it requires a lot of intuition and and reportage and developing sources, which takes years. Mm -hmm. Shaking five thousand hands, and you shake five thousand hands. That means you met. You might know ten thousand more people because they know people that can help you. Mm -hmm. So I was always out in the street, in the clubs, getting my information. But nowadays, and by the way, we had an actual press pass. I didn't wear it, but the press pass meant that you were allowed to cross police lines and go into a crime scene, and mm. that's all gone now. Now, anybody with a laptop and an opinion can say what they want about someone's life. Right. Um, Perez, Perez Hill, who was really... Know um, in Baltimore, no one really follows him like did it in the early two thousands. He never had a press pass. He he was just a guy working at Starbucks with a laptop and making fun of celebrities, and he became so powerful. Mm -hmm. It always bothered me. When I was working, you needed two sources for every story, right. and your editor made sure you did that. And after that. Your lawyers at the Daily News, there were three of them. They would check every column, every story before it was published. Now it's just press send and it's out to the world. Mm -hmm. And it's very dangerous and it's getting a lot of people in a lot of trouble who don't deserve the trouble. So it's just, uh, you know, I picked two different careers that kind of went sideways. Uh, TV hosting now is very not used as much. They use voiceovers instead of a person in front mm -hmm. talking. As a journalist, anybody can be a journalist now. I just did. I'm on. I'm on a series now on Nat Geo called. Um, I think it's called Reeling in the '90s or something like that. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm the only journalist on the show. Like everybody else is a stylist or a publicist or. I don't even know what they are, yeah. but they didn't go to school to write, yeah. to learn about reporting, and yet their words matter. It bugs me. Right. And and it's also making people famous as the, as the story themselves. So like what's yeah. going on on social media and this whole reality reckoning thing, right? I mean, it's just completely taken over not only social media and those platforms, but the news. I mean, it's in mainstream media in Wall yeah. Street Journal and the New York Times are covering this kind of thing. And it's interesting to me because people that are either podcast hosts that cover reality TV or Bravo. They are the ones being interviewed by news organizations at night for their take on what's going on. 
And, you know, and then they're feuding with each other. It's almost like the thing that everyone is upset with, with Bravo right now about how dangerous it can be. That kind of toxic environment is also being played out on social media with people that are covering this, talking about it. You see people sharing DMs that they've had with famous, famous stars in reality. I mean, it's really nuts. What's your thought of this reality reckoning? it's, It's very scary. Honestly, the whole Bravo stuff I stay away from because I, if I see one more article about Tom Sandoval and <laughs> Rachel, whatever her name is, I don't give a shit. They're people on a reality show. They're not important. But yet, the newspapers and websites and I know what podcasters have them on the show that you get, you get views. Mm-hmm. But I, I just, I would never want to be around those people. They're nothing. They're nothing to me. Right. They are tens and horses. Why can they not to be superstars who matter? Mm-hmm. And it is really dangerous that you can have uh, DM somebody years ago or written an email. I'll tell you something that, that Harvey Weinstein told to me. Yeah. Naturally, Harvey told me that everything he did was consensual. Mm-hmm. And uh, I talked to some of the girls that went through that, some of his victims, and I didn't believe him. But he said, AJ, if it were back in the 90s and you were still at your job, they'd come after you too. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, you're probably right. And then you start thinking, were there dates where it didn't end good? Usually I was really good with, I had a lot of options back then. I, if I dated a girl from nine o'clock to 11, nothing happened. That was fun. I knew who I could call at 12 a.m. or 1 a.m. or 2 a.m. And, and do my thing. But, you know, it's scary that somebody can say he did this to me, he did that to me, and automatically the man is guilty. Hmm. Just guilty. Right. You lose everything. So on my show, I really rail about that a lot because it's changed the whole whole spectrum of what news and journalism is. And it's very dangerous that suddenly we're no longer a country where, you know, you, you, you're innocent until proven guilty. Yeah. Now you're guilty immediately. You get your sentencing, you get your, uh, <clears throat> your cancellation or your jail time. It's up and smoke. It is gone. The court of public opinion seems much more powerful than the courts, the court system. And it's very, very scary because you are, you know, you're at the mercy of people that either like you or don't like you um, or believe, you know, believe your story as opposed to looking at facts. And that's really a, a very scary thing to look at. Like, like, you know, I, I know Donald Trump for many years mm-hmm. and um, I, I was out with him years ago. We dated the same girl. Kind of at the same time, which Who? got a little, yeah, a little weird. It got a little weird. Him and I had a big fight on Howard Who, Stern. who was the girl? Uh, Kari Young, the model. Okay. And um, I moved to L.A. and we weren't together. But every time I came back to New York, I'd hook up. We'd, we'd be together, but she was dating him. Mm-hmm. So we kind of crisscrossed a little bit. But a lot of people like to call him racist. Mm. I was at tables with him at restaurants where he signed checks for people like Russell Simmons, Sean Combs, who wanted to start a restaurant or whatever kind of clothing line, didn't even ask for when they can pay him back. Jesse Jackson loved him. Al Sharpton was at his tables. The girlfriend I'm mentioning is half black. Mm -hmm. 
he's not racist, but it takes one person to say it. Yeah. And it just sticks like glue. So, you know, I'm trying to say he he used the word rigors the other day for election rigors. And CNN and MSNBC said, I think we know why he chose that word. It rhymes with the N word. No, just stop it. I mean, these are real professional people saying this kind of shit. It's it's so ridiculous. Yeah. So what you know him personally, what are your thoughts on everything that's going on with him? I mean, today he's he's, uh, you know, showing up in in Georgia. And uh, like, what are your thoughts on on what's going on with Donald? Well, I'll, I'll be very upfront. I'm a Trump guy. I used to hate his guts. I used to write about him all the time in New York. Mm-hmm. I hated him after the whole girlfriend debacle. Mm-hmm. And then I began to like him and I voted for him. I had a conversation with him about why he's running and how much he thinks he can do mm-hmm. and sold me. I like outsiders. I like people who come in a room and change shit, kick over chairs and make people take notice. Mm-hmm. Um, so I voted for him twice. I'll tell you right now, I think he's going to beat this rap. I think a lot of it's going to be thrown out. But I'll tell you right now, that mugshot they take of him is going to be bigger than Che Guevara T-shirts and Mickey Mouse T-shirts. Mm-hmm. Millions of people are going to wear that shirt. He's a, they, They've made him a martyr now. And Joe Biden can barely find the light switch in his bedroom you can't you they've just given they've just given Donald Trump so much more power and I think he'll I think he'll succeed. I think he'll come back and win. And I think we need it because the country's going to shit. Right. Um, I'm sure you're I'm sure you're liberal. It's okay. No, no. Well, you know, listen, I'm more yeah, I'm more liberal, but I also yeah. know I also know Donald Trump. I you know, I find him interesting. I find him funny. You know, I, I, there's a lot of things that I like about him. There's a lot of things I don't like about him in the way that he treats people. And, you know, some of the things he says are very abrasive. And listen, I had my own experience with him where he asked me to be on Celebrity Apprentice. I I was going to ask you that. Yeah. 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 And I, I met up with Michael Cohen. They asked me to do the show. They came to me. I didn't go to them. And I ended up choosing to do Celebrity um, Rehab with Dr. Drew because I felt seen by Drew. I mean, I felt like this guy can really help me. And I was really struggling. I had become a recluse. I felt like the whole world was talking about me and I wanted the opportunity for the world to see me for who I was. And I felt like I wouldn't get that chance on, um, on the apprentice. I thought that really I could get some help with, with Drew, but also I could feel like I was in a safe place. And when I told him that I wasn't doing his show, I remember he did some article with TMZ and said, I don't even know who that girl is. Who is she? She would I would never ask her to do my show. And I was like, how could he say that? And then later he invited me to his Christmas party. He brought in a a fake guy, a guy that looked like Tiger Woods to say that we were in the same oh, no. place. Yeah, really crazy. So, You're kidding me. yeah, I mean, so listen, I get Donald. I understand him. I'm a New Yorker. I get that like vibe that he has going. A lot of people, yeah, it's too yeah. abrasive, but he does some yeah. things that are way too abrasive for he does. He does. For he his power. Little, he has very little cooth. He's abrasive. He, um, I like to say that uh, he's from the ready fire aim school of speaking to people mm. he doesn't aim he fires first um but he is a counterpuncher and a tough guy that i know that can be very uh, people can take that and want to hate him i get yeah. it but i also know his funny side and his helpful side 
And I grew up in that. I'm a New Yorker. I was around mafiosa guys all my life. So I know what they're like. What they work with iron workers, concrete guys, window people, construction guys. And you adopt a certain personality yeah. that's different than a Jeff Bezos billionaire. You develop a different kind of exterior when you're around those tough guys. So to me, it's fine. I'm a loud Italian. He doesn't scare me. I told him I was going to kill him. You know, we, we had a big fight and then we made up. Yeah. But yeah, I totally know what you're saying. I was, sometimes I go, why did he just say that? Yeah. I was stupid. <laughs> you know, I know, I know. Yeah. So uh, incidentally, do you still speak to Harvey Weinstein in prison? No, not since he's gone away. What happened to Harvey and I, I'll tell you as briefly as I can. I, I, I had somebody paint a painting for him because he was very good to me. You know, a book deal, a movie deal. So I got someone to paint a, a, a painting that said Harveywood instead of Hollywood. When I went to go pay for it to get it, some girl asked me, who is this for? I said, it's my friend, you know, Harvey Weinstein, he's a producer. And she goes, oh, he's dating a friend of mine in England. And I knew Harvey was married here in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay. So I called him and I said, Harvey, um, just nobody says you're dating a girl in England. That's ah, not true. And he called me back and said, it's true. What do we do? So we got together. Um, and what we did was I said, I will write, I will call your gossip, your, your publicist, Miramax. I'll give them stories of other people. So if any other paper calls to ask about this affair you're having, they can trade and butter and give them another story. So he paid me a lot of money every month for about a year. Cut to 2017. I'm coaching my son. He calls me on the sideline. He goes, I need you at the Four Seasons. When can you get here? I said, in about an hour. I go to the Four Seasons. He goes, they want a hit job on me. I said, who? I don't know. But they're asking questions about me, and a lot of people are talking. we got to find out who's doing this story. I'll pay you X amount. Find out about the author, who's doing it. I said, all right, okay, you know. He never said the word rape. He just said a hit job. Mm-hmm. And I thought, yeah, it's probably a story about him being bossy and a prick and loud. I called him about a week later. He said, he said uh, and it was strong. He goes, no, hold tight, hold tight. Don't worry, I'll let you know. Don't worry about it. Then I started seeing stories in the paper from Rose McGowan about this producer who raped her. And I was putting two of them together. And I said, that sounds like Harvey. Mm. And at that point, I knew that that was the hit job on him. So one night he texted me and said, help me. And I said, Harvey, you just, you know, it's, I call him, I call him Ronan Sinatra, but you know, Ronan Farrell is writing this article. He's untouchable. Hollywood, liberal, elite, dating Barack Obama's former speechwriter. There's nothing anybody can do with this kid. He's untouchable. I said, if I were you, I would come up with, were you ever molested by a rabbi or an uncle or anybody? It takes a monster to make a monster. Maybe that's for out. He goes, AJ, it was all consensual. He just kept saying that. I said, well, there's nothing, there's nothing you can do now. It's, it's going to come out. Mm-hmm. 
So I never ever helped him throughout his situation. I helped him in 2003 when it came to his affair. He later married the woman and um, Georgina. He married her, left his wife and married her. So people misconstrue that as if I was there to help him with the rape stuff. Not at all. He asked me for help, and I never did anything because I have a, had a wife, I have sisters, I have a daughter. I would, I would have fucking knocked him out. I would never have done that. But he said to me, you know, I know the people who are talking about me, George Clooney, Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, if I told stories about them, Hollywood would fall down to its knees. I know everything. I said, you're probably right. You're probably right. I know, I know I'm right. But I don't rat on anybody. It's the last I heard from him. Wow. So that's very interesting. Um, all right. So I, I think that people can understand that you've been through everything for the last, how long has it been? 30 years that you've been doing um, gossip? Yeah, 91. Yeah. 91. So yeah. So you know where you know where the the bodies are buried. You've been part of some some I wouldn't say scandals, but you've been in the news your, yourself. What what do you yeah. think is the most misunderstood thing about you? About me. Yeah. Um well, I think a lot of people I think a lot of people don't think I'm honest. And I'm so on. I write the truth. I don't care. I write the truth about me. Mm. I tell the truth about me. Three days ago on my podcast, I said, I'm going to AA. Things have gotten out of control. I lost my nephew, who was like my brother. Um, I'm going through a separation and divorce, um, living in hotels. My listeners know everything about me. Mm. I don't like that people will think I'm full of shit or just some guy who's coming up with stories and throwing them out there in the universe no everything i do is very open and honest and checked out and um other than that i don't even know and beyond that rachel i don't even care you know i'm 61 right now i've gotten this far i'm not gonna fold my my hand and walk away right. this is who i am right well, I love that about you. I, I think it's, I mean, it's evident you are like the OG of like, you know, a reporter, a journalist, someone who really gets it, someone who's been through it and lived it, understands what it's like to cover a story. And there are very few and far between people like that. Um, do you have yeah, anything yeah. in your life you want to share that was like the most exciting thing that's ever happened yeah. to you or something you covered that you just were so proud of? Um, covered. Or, or I, dead, I whatever. Always liked, I'm, well, I liked, I, I, I always liked the fact that, um, this might sound shallow, but when I got the job as a gossip columnist in New York, it gave me entree to every place in New York, every restaurant, every play, every, you name it, I was there. And then when I left gossip and became a television personality, I was on the other side of the rope and uh, I don't think journalists like that because mm -hmm. I made the switch and then I became the guy they hunted. But in terms of what I'm really proud about, I'm, I, I'm proud that at my age, with a marriage that was disintegrating, I was able to meet a wonderful girl and I've been with her for three years. And I rationalized with myself, you know, you probably got 20 years left there. Mm. Be 
happy. Take care of your kids, which I do. I love them. For the, I'll see them tonight. Mm-hmm. But you know what? You got to be happy. You got to find your own happiness. And if it's not at home and you meet this girl and she's tremendous, then go get her. And I did. It's been three years. So that's right now what I'm most happy about. And I'm really happy that I have this podcast, Same as a Bitch, where I don't really really just do gossip. I talk about old Hollywood stories. Most of my listeners love the fact that I have all these personal stories, Mm -hmm. even about my family. That they love to hear. So I'm very lucky in that regard that I get to open a microphone and spill my guts every day and have people wait for me and listen and and support me. And it's a it's really a great feeling. And I think that, you know, you have that now and you're going to have even more of it as you go down this road. Mm-hmm. Um I remember the rankings when I used to look at them. I was up there at the top for a while. Mm-hmm. Um but, but I but I found out. I don't read reviews because, like I said before, if you believe the best review, you've got to believe the worst review. And I won't look at anything anymore. I know who I am. My listeners know who I am. My girlfriend knows who I am. That's it. My kids, that's it. Everybody else can go fuck themselves. I love that. I've already done it. I've proved myself. You definitely have proved yourself. Okay, AJ Benza, where can people find your podcast? My podcast is on Patreon. It's five bucks a month called Fame is a Bitch. I usually do one or two free shows a week. You can find them on any podcast service, you know, Apple, whatever. It's out there. And I do Politics is a Bitch as well once a week. But uh, that's where I am. Five bucks a month on Patreon or free twice a week. Awesome. Well, I will be signing up. I'm so happy we've met. I've loved I would our love conversation. That. You'd like it. Yeah. You'd like it. And you you know what? If, if you ever get in the jam again, you know, I'm a good guy to know to get you uh, to get you out of the jam. That is Put right. That Ho- hopefully I won't be calling you about that. But if I get I in a jam, so. I'm calling you first. I, I gotta tell you real quick that I'm I'm then we can go. I don't want I don't want to bring up a sore subject, but when Tiger had that car wreck couple of years, several years back. I know what happened and I know why he was kind of let off. There's a judge down there who plays golf with him. And um, he wasn't about to look into Tiger's situation, whether he was on drugs or what have you. So um, I reported that on my podcast as well. I thought you might like to hear that, but um yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I hope he's well. I'm not a golf fan, but he was amazing. Mm-hmm. You guys had the tabloids screaming for a while. And uh, like I said, I go back with you on that awful day of 9-11, seeing your face on, on the newspaper. And um, once you got infamous or famous, I just knew, I know, I know I'm going to know this girl somehow. I know it. And as it turns out, we do. We have similar friends, so glad we do. Yeah, I'm sorry it's taken this long. Yeah, it's all right. I, I got 20 more years, mm-hmm. but we'll be all right. Okay, good. Well, I appreciate you. We will be Thanks, in right. touch. All right. Take care, doll. Thank you.
you so much for listening to Misunderstood. I'm your host, Rachel Yucatel. Please be sure to subscribe to the show and give us a five-star rating and review. You can support the show by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash misunderstood with Rachel Yucatel. Do you have ideas for the show or want to reach out? Email us at info misunderstood podcast at gmail.com. That's spelled M-I-S-S understood. Thank you so much and I'll see you next time. Misunderstood.